0: You're listening to The New Leaf Project, sharing stories from instigators, innovators, planters, and starters from across Canada. My name is Elle. And I'm Jared. And you are listening to The New Leaf Project. Thanks so much for tuning in and hanging out with us. This is our second part of our interview with Joel Teeson, two-parter.
1: Yeah, it's a two-parter, and and I just want to say before we get into this episode that if you haven't listened to part one, do yourself a favor and go back to last week's episode and listen to part one because you're not. It's not going to make a lot of sense. Um, if, if you miss one and don't have the other. So today uh, we're going deeper in this conversation about changes in the Canadian landscape, especially a group of people that we call the nuns. That's a category uh, that StatsCan and Pew Research have have created. And it's the fastest growing religious segment in Canada. And that means more and more people um, in Canada identify themselves as having no religion. That's where we get the term nuns from. So we're going deeper on that today, Elle, and I'm really excited to bring part two.
0: Me too. Let's get into it.
1: So it, it is interesting because there is a sense uh, currently, I think, that all we have to do is just kind of tweak the basic formula yeah. and people are going to come back to us. And And you're saying that's actually... Not the case.
2: Yeah. What tweaking will do is it will help to keep those who are there, there. And that's valuable. I think particularly as we think about our young people, uh, teenagers, young adults, etc. I think it's very important and there's nothing wrong with that. I think it will help with transfer growth. People who are perhaps discontent in congregation A, they slide over to congregation B, or they've moved to a new city and are looking for a church. All yeah. these things are very helpful on those fronts. Sure, but we're still only talking about twenty-five percent of the community yeah, population. That yeah, yeah, we're not talking about drawing people in from the outside. I mean, one of the the constant findings in sociological research around the world in different religious traditions is that people join religious groups more often than not because someone they know inside that group invites them into that group. In other words, it's personal ties and personal relationship with people that draws them into a group. So much so that people will join a group without even knowing what it is that they're really joining in terms of the beliefs and practices. I mean, they studied this in the 60s and 70s, the rapid growth of new religious movements in uh, in the United States and Canada. And you would see all these people saying, you know, I joined because a family member or a friend invited me, and I don't even know much about these beliefs. And over time, they come to know more about those and become more ingrained within the religious tradition. But these things don't have to do with your preaching's more relevant, or the 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 music is is better, or whatever it is. They're all important. They're all important for helping people to to keep them there uh, and to engage them in meaningful ways. But it's not as simple as someone who doesn't attend, who's going to start because of those things.
1: So it's almost like we have to think like missionaries. Yes. Like where it's almost like going to, at least on the non side of the fence, and yep. maybe even among maybe we've got the uh, the the what you Marginal marginally affiliates. affiliated yeah, yeah. maybe we've got them wrong too yeah and it's almost like we're entering a foreign country for sure as as a person of faith as is like a like a missionary
2: yeah yeah i think this is a an appropriate posture here in the 21st century in canada that uh, much like a century ago we thought about sending missionaries overseas to places where uh Whether in identification or actual behaviours, Christianity was relatively low. Uh, While yes, we do have higher than maybe some expect affiliation levels Christianity in Canada, that the actual behaviours and beliefs would suggest otherwise in in many different indicators. Uh, And so thinking about this missionary framework uh, I think is a helpful way, theologically speaking, for this context.
1: So can you go a little deeper on that? I want to know how does, like, let's think about that for a second. Like, what is it about a missionary posture? Yeah. Um, Let's leave aside all the other challenges and baggage with that word, but how does adopting a missionary posture actually help you in this kind of landscape?
2: Yeah. Well, the first thing you do when you are entering a quote-unquote, mission field, is to study and understand the local culture and dialect. And I think understanding how the religious and cultural landscape is changing in Canada and what is actually going on and how do people think about the world. If religious nuns are growing as rapidly as they are, to understand what is their framework, what is their reference point that actually sets them apart in some significant ways for marginal affiliates and active affiliates. How do marginal affiliates think about the world? What sets them apart? Uh, I think that, that posture of studying and understanding the culture uh, opens the door to have, hopefully have the ability to engage these different groups in their own terms. Uh, in ways that are relatable and understanding within that paradigm. And I think in ways that will challenge, particularly those who have grown up within Christian contexts who are very familiar within that world, will probably challenge a number of starting assumptions that we just assume, well, all people want the things that Jesus mm. offers, or all people want the things that religious groups offer. And we may actually find out, as this book uh, reveals, that religious nuns say they have meaning and purpose in life quite apart from religion. They don't feel like they're missing anything. They provide concrete examples of devastating loss in their life, of losing a family member to an accident, to uh, an illness, and never thinking once to pray to God, never thinking about life after death, who describe it in very straightforward terms uh, of of a humanist orientation. We live and we die, and these things happen. And there's nothing I can do about that. Yes, I, uh, I grieve. Yes, I gather together with friends and family to process in these experiences, but there isn't this sense that religion somehow has uh, the the only approach to handling these kinds of issues. I think understanding those perspectives from the other's perspective could help in that posture of coming to the Canadian setting as a missionary. So hold on. What you're saying is
1: that uh, church folk, yeah. we've been focused on... Meeting the needs of twenty five percent of the population, and basically seventy five percent of the population. I get you said the marginal group is about,
2: about forty to fifty. Yeah. Four. Okay.
1: Uh, you know, between sixty and seventy five percent of the population yeah. are, we're not paying attention to how they think. We're not. We're not noticing that we're actually living in a foreign country. At this point, if we grew up with sort of evangelical lenses or active affiliation lenses. We actually don't understand what's going on around us. Is
2: is that what you're trying to tell us? Yeah, I think there's a range. I think there absolutely are those within church settings who are deeply immersed in studying and understanding the cultural context and who are thinking of all kinds of creative ways to engage that and are doing so well and are trying different things etc there are others who have not paid as much attention so i think there's a full continuum but i would say across the board wherever one is at this current point in time that uh, there is great merit to studying and i'll use the market language again to studying the market i mean we're dealing with an organization of religion as a whole that's moving in a downward direction and any organization knows that if you want to uh, not just survive but you want to thrive you need to understand what the market is telling you and to try to engage that in wise and sensible ways to know the language and perspective of those outside of your organization who you potentially want to be part of your organization. Uh, and so in this respect, I mean, this aligns with some of the things that Bibby has talked about all along, that, of course, your supply matters, the things that you do. Um, and in order to effectively supply, you have to know what the demand is or isn't and what that side of the conversation is. It it feels funny to talk that way. <laughs> yes, it does. Um, but I, I, I hear what you're saying, yeah. it, it that
1: we have some serious soul searching to do mm. about Uh, who we are what we're doing what we imagine we're offering the world versus what they're actually looking for yes Um, so my question and and this is something that I you know I I really care about uh, thinking about Canada as a missionary I I really care about helping people make a connection to the Jesus story yeah so as a church leader, what's your advice to me about what kind of church is it going to take to um, to actually put the gospel within reach of my neighbors? How do I help? Um, like you said, I like that phrase and it's an important thought. The, the idea of how do I help uh, think about this on their terms or enter the story on their terms, which I think is that's a revolutionary idea. I think you're talking about because most of the time when I hear sort of church people talk about people outside the church, there's sort of a dismissive, a sort of negative, like they've already rejected Christ, so why would we care? Yeah. Kind of a thing, and I don't have a uh, well. I'm just going to sit back and watch the world burn. Yeah. Uh, kind of attitude. Yeah. Um, you know what kind of church or what kind of of l- life orientation is it going to take for canadian Christians to make this connection or to understand, like what, what do yeah. we do?
2: Yeah, you know, I don't know if there's a standard like this kind of church will do it and will capture all people. There's definitely a different niche markets. There are some people who are attracted to uh, the more liturgical expressions and forms of religious life. There are those who uh, want no liturgy at all. Uh, though of course every group has its own liturgy yeah. uh, and and meeting in different places and spaces. Those kinds of things. I think one of the the core. Uh, characteristics or qualities that that needs to be present in, in all kinds of religious groups is this idea that everyone who's part of this faith community has a responsibility in their own way to be missionaries within their local context. And it's creating a narrative that says, you know, it's not just the pastor's job. It's not just the board or the elders who do this. But if you're tied to this group, then we want to equip and empower you to effectively build relationships with your neighbors, with your co-workers, etc. Uh, so that we're all being the hands and feet of Christ, so to speak, within our social context and social narrative. Which may mean fewer programs through local churches why so that members can have their neighbors over for dinner on right. thursday night so
1: don't keep me busy in the church yeah, yeah. all the time give me s- some capacity to yeah yeah be and be with normal people yeah
2: and to see that as an extension of the ministry of the local church and to effectively equip and empower because i think a lot of times people are afraid especially in a canadian context like i don't know how to evangelize like i don't know what that looks like and within the canadian context we're definitely afraid to do this because it comes across as exclusive. Basically what we're saying is I have the right answer and you don't and you need what I have, which flies in the face of the Canadian values we talked about earlier. So just how do you do that? What are the strategies and the tips and some helpful insights there that help and what I noticed in your book is that you when when
1: uh the people you interviewed talked one of the things they hate most yes. about us yes. is that we want to convince them about That's right. who Jesus is. So yeah. what do you do with that?
2: Yeah, yeah. I think on one hand, we need to be attentive to just building relationships with uh, those who are not part of one's faith group. And, you know, I interviewed active affiliates. Most of them, their closest friends are people who attend their church or another part of, a, of another religious um, congregation and such, which means that people who are attending regularly are not that engaged on the whole with people who are not part of their faith communities so changing the discourse and narrative about the value of broadening one's social sphere is is really important but then there are the theological things and this is the limitation of sociology and the social sciences that the spirit of god can only work in the ways that the spirit of god works these things cannot be reduced to numbers or mm. to what social scientific studies tell us and so By that I mean the Spirit of God will or will not work in spite of our Canadian cultural narratives in light of our uh, abilities or inabilities to effectively engage those around us. you're
1: saying we have to have actually more faith in God.
2: Well, you know what? This is perhaps the biggest leap of faith that we (laughs) ever need uh, because there are a lot of cultural and contextual things that make it very difficult. And being the good, nice, polite Canadians that we are, We're afraid to actually tell people about the gospel. We just want to be nice people and hope that others ask us why we're a nice person and then use that as the opportunity to say it's because of Jesus Christ. And
1: they're already nice people. Yeah,
2: because we're we're Canadian. Canadians are just nice people. I, I think I'm a pretty nice person and I couldn't tell you the last time someone asked me why I'm a nice person. In other words, this is perhaps a problematic approach to being missionaries within a Canadian context. And yet it makes sense sociologically why people are taking this approach because we're very Canadianized and and sensitive to not wanting to offend people. And theologically what that means is we very rarely open our mouths, and share the gospel, or get to those points. We have to be culturally sensitive in doing so, but it grows out of building relationship and just starting by facilitating conversations with people who are not part of our group. The the kinds of church
1: planting that mm-hmm. I see out there, even the quote-unquote radical stuff, mm-hmm. um, meeting in bars or whatever we consider to be sure. radical this week, um, it's actually not uh, uh, doing a ton to actually make put the gospel within reach of of the nuns, as much as we imagine it. It seems it's directed, again, at... It's more of a a lot of re- church planting right now feels a bit like it's it's on the retention side sure. of of the equation of preventing young uh, disgruntled evangelicals or disgruntled whomevers from leaving the church and I th- I think there's a, a certain amount of legitimacy but there's sort of a there's sort of a legend about church planting in Canada that I think is is actually unhealthy and keeps the status quo. In place so tell me what like you wrote a blog post about this recently so tell me what's what, what's
2: the bee in your bond with this? <laughs> yeah yeah well I would say first off sociologically this is a really difficult thing to capture because they are such organic movements that we don't have real solid concrete empirical data to say things with a great degree of um specificity or, or with a, a strong sense of uh, conclusion to it. But I have a series of hunches based on different readings and conversations. And so I think... Well, that doesn't meet the academic yes, standard of this <laughs>
1: podcast <laughs> in
2: general. It, we'll, right. we'll let allow it slide. Yeah. 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 Um, I, I think there definitely is this reality that a, a number of different initiatives are emerging. And... Uh, are on the surface look very different, and, and fair enough, uh, that tend to capture um, either these individuals who have left evangelicalism, have had bad experiences, and completely justified in their perceptions, to be quite honest, um, for whom this captures that kind of niche market. And so if that's the niche market, then I think it's actually being fairly successful and effective in drawing these kinds of individuals. And some could say, well, that is an important evangelistic tool because we have people who are for all intents and purposes not plugged into a community who now are Mm -hmm. and so they see that as a valuable thing so so fair enough in in this respect Uh, i'm not sure that there is as much of an impulse even if it's the desire whether it's a reality of engaging religious nuns so I, i go back to the point i made earlier about the number one reason a person joins a religious group is because someone invites them into that group if people are not coming to the existing churches or structures, etc., because people are not inviting them into those contexts, why would someone suddenly begin to invite people in this new context? When for all intents and purposes, a lot of the same kinds of things, rituals, dynamics, it's kind of massaged slightly different in different ways, but for all intents and purposes, a lot of the same realities are actually at play there. Um, So I guess I'm, I don't know if skeptical is the right word, but I raise the question of why do we need to necessarily start all of these new initiatives, starting with the premise of building relationship, etc., when you could do that within the existing structure, if the goal is to actually reach those who are not at all connected within the gospel story and narrative. And so it's a, it's a question about how we utilize our financial resources, right? Because a number of denominations are, are pouring a lot of money into starting these uh, different initiatives. Or we, we send someone into a new city and say, go work at a coffee shop, build relationships and plant a church. Why couldn't one do that within their existing context where they have perhaps three, five, ten years of relationship building experience with people there and try to leverage those given the amount of time it takes to build new relationships, etc. And so it's it's a sociological and a theological set of questions that gets us to think very carefully and critically. I'm not opposed to church planting at its core. I think churches that plant churches, there's a, there's a good Model there because you have the established base in place. You have personal relationships that are there that you can leverage. Rather than starting from scratch, you can try new ideas, innovations, etc. But uh, I'm I'm less convinced, I suppose, of this is the brand new freshest idea that's out there. We need to do this, and we're going to draw all of these these people in. Um, I'm not sure that it's necessarily yielding the particular kind of fruit that people anticipate it will uh, will yield in the end. And so, I, yeah, I, d- I just raise a series of, of questions more than anything, more than a conclusive, definitive statement that says these are therefore not good. I'm not saying that.
1: So you're not, I mean, you're not saying you're against church planting. You're just saying that if if we imagine that, or at least this yeah. is what I'm, I'm, sure. I'm, I agree with you. I think if we imagine that the church planting we're doing right now is, categorically or fundamentally uh completely brand new I, I i think we're we're missing the boat i think the kind of church we're going to need to be as this trend continues in canada um is 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 going to look fundamentally different than than what we've what we've come to know as church i i I honestly have no idea what it's going to look like. I wouldn't even dare to guess. But I feel like we need more truth telling about uh, what we're actually doing. Many of the church planters that I've met, uh, one in in particular, said I thought that I was going to be reaching out to 18 to 35-year-olds who didn't know the first thing about the church and Christianity and had no background. And what I wound up with with was 18, 35 year olds who had gone to church, basically believed, but were angry or injured by the church. And I, I, he saw it as legitimate ministry and I agree with them that it is, but it's not solving the riddle of, of the nuns The the, it's, it's still talking about that 25% of the Canadian population. It's not talking about the other 60 to 70 percent
2: yeah yeah I mean I could say so many things on, on even comments you've observed there like even the the idea of targeting an age group 18 to 35 theologically speaking I think it misses out on a fundamental intergenerational component that spans all of scripture and To build congregations on these specific age demographics misses a fundamental theological idea Mm -hmm. of passing the faith on. And sociologically, we know that passing the faith on from one generation to the next is an important part for groups to thrive in the short and the long term. Uh, to have the 20-year-old who's learning from the 50-year-old, who's learning from the 80-year-old, and so forth, that these are invaluable organizational principles and theological principles for effectively passing on the faith. And so I, I become small c concerned theologically of the kind of theology that we're passing on by saying we are going to be an 18 to 35 year old church it doesn't mean that we don't have some age specific things absolutely that are necessary within congregations but if we parcel out this particular group because what's going to happen is they're going to get married and have children in five ten years from now and that's going to change the dynamics. so having a, a more wholesome Approach to this intergenerational approach to ministry, I think, is vitally important sociologically and and theologically. There.
1: Well, I think it's one of the very few. The church is one of the very few places where yeah. the possibility of being with people who are different than you are yep. uh, is is it's more likely. Now, it it doesn't work out. I I should say that it's more theoretically yes, possible. Theoretically, yeah. It tends not to be the way. That's of right. things that, um, and this is a this is a classic debate in in church planting yep. language and and in and in any kind of missionary thought is is the idea of the homogenous unit principle yep. versus that's yep. right um, you know uh, uh, planting in diversity and so I meet people for instance who want to plant um, um, sort of ethnically diverse yep. churches uh, the kinds of people that want to belong to ethnically diverse uh, the the kinds of people that belong to ethnically ethnically diverse churches, what makes them the same.
2: Yeah, yeah. The
1: homogenous unit yeah, sure, sure. is that they mm-hmm. want to be with people who are different than they are. Sure. Whereas people from their home tribe, yep. um, speaking colloquially yes, now, yes. <laughs> uh, are they prefer the homo- they prefer to stick together and they want to see what else is out there. And so I think I think the homogenous unit stuff is very, very difficult to actually break out of. Yeah. Um, it seems to be the default human setting.
2: Yeah, sociology shows this time and time again when it comes to congregations. In fact, when it comes to uh, race and ethnicity, Sunday mornings are the most segregated hour of the entire week in mm-hmm. so in society. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it comes to churches, we tend to be highly ethnically homogeneous. And more so than any other social interaction, any other social institution. And there's other indicators of this homogeneity uh, principle that runs true in congregations, which raises important theological questions of whether that's good or bad, right or wrong. But sociologically, there's all kinds of reasons for why like gathers with like. Um, and then I leave it to the theologians to sort out the implications of that.
1: <laughs> do you enjoy that part of being a scientist as you, you get to leave it to the... <laughs> I do.
2: You know, what? It's in some ways I, I can burst uh, bubbles in, in terms of the, the myths or conceptions that we have. Uh, I can describe and explain, uh, and then I can leave it with them. But it's also a, a respect for the experts within that area. And so I don't in any way, shape or form claim to be a theologian or an expert, uh, or a practitioner in these respects. And so I, I say, here's some of the things we know empirically and then hand it over to those experts to discuss and for me to learn. And, and sure, I have some different insights along the way and different reflections, but, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm not an expert in those. And so I, <laughs> I hand it over and I don't try to meddle in their affairs too much sometimes, but not often. Okay. So I'm
1: feeling a little bit depressed okay. right now. Uh, and I guess I'm I'm understanding what you're saying because yep. that seemed to be a bit of an experience you had in doing this study sure. that there were some difficult conclusions that you were coming to yep. about what the future looks like for yep. us. Um, so tell me, any signs of life out there? Any signs of hope? What are you uh, What do you What are you uh, staking
2: the future on these days? Yeah, I think uh, I think there are a few signs of hope to pay attention to. Um, one is definitely immigration. I mean, some of the greatest signs of life and vitality are in ethnic and immigrant congregations. Uh, there's a, for all kinds of sociological reasons, but there's a, a passion and a zeal and a, a fervor to their faith that is evident that leads to uh, telling others about their faith. In many respects, they're not Canadianized enough to know that they shouldn't be telling others about their faith and all <laughs> these kinds of things, but they actually see the fruit of that. Uh, there's, a, there's an urgency to sharing their faith within a broadly secular context so uh, I think that's definitely a sign of life and vitality uh, I think there are, are many different attempts within church planting networks that are uh, showing signs of life that are trying new and fresh expressions of uh, the Christian gospel and trying to uh, communicate that to others and uh, how we measure that life and vitality I mean are they growing mainly from transfer growth? Is it from, quote-unquote, conversion growth among uh, those who say they have no religion and so forth? It's hard to exactly pinpoint. I think a lot of it is transfer growth. But regardless of what the source is, there definitely is something that's going on that's resonating with large groups of people in these settings and and sectors.
1: I think we have to ask better questions about growth Mm. uh, in particular. Um, You know, one of the challenges I get into is, is... you know, a, a person will, uh, a pastor will say to me, well, we had, um, you yeah, know, we're, we're running about 80 or 120 sure. or 150. Um, and I keep wanting to ask, 80 or 150 what? Yeah, yeah. Uh, people from other churches, yeah. from other traditions, yeah. are they, are they, like, where are they coming from? And yeah. not that there's good people and bad people to have come into your church, sure. but... That we need to do a better job of asking these questions in depth. Yep. To say, uh, because if we want to be a church for the whole country, uh, we have to be serious about who is showing up. And if there is a group that's absent, yep. then I think we have a really serious missionary problem on our hands that so we have to do something about, we have to pay attention to. Sure.
2: Yeah. There, there are a couple of studies that show that in most congregations across Canada, uh, only about 10% of those who are sitting in the pews are by definition converts to the faith, who didn't have any religious background, uh, or who actually converted from another religion. And I'm not talking about once was a Catholic, and now is a Baptist, and once was a Muslim, and now is a, and so forth. Uh, that only about 10% fall into that category. That's the church that has 5,000 weekly attenders or the church that has 150 attenders. The rest come from birth, having children and keeping them, Mm -hmm. and transfer growth, which, depending on your perspective, uh, might be a good news or a bad news story, but I think descriptively it shows that uh, it's not as prevalent as we think it is, which opens the door for all kinds of opportunities. When When I think of... Uh, creative people who are on the ground, who are trying different initiatives, etc. Who are I think this creates a great opportunity to say, okay, here's an untapped group, so to speak. Uh, what does it look like in very concrete, practical, uh, innovative ways in 21st century Canada to engage such people within the conversations? And, and I think that in terms of life and opportunity, Uh, it it creates a great way forward to say we have a massive puzzle before us. How do we engage that? And I think there are entrepreneurs within our midst uh, who can lead the way and who are leading the way and who are trying to grapple with that. And I think it's an evolving narrative that, uh, as far as I'm concerned, it's anyone's guess on what that will look like in 10 or 15 years from now and how this story will play itself out. Um, But I think there are some opportunities there for sure.
1: I think, I, I, you know, I think this is an important book. I think uh, we need more truth-telling going on. I think we need more honesty. And I think there's a certain aspect where the, the objectivity that you're, you're bringing to the story and the blowing up the narratives, as depressing as that can feel, yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's really important for us to be able to do that because that helps us to get real with what's actually happening. And I think we need more of that get-real stuff in our in our in our experience and in our experiments so joel thanks for uh being with us thanks for sharing your truth with us the book is the meaning of sunday uh the practice of belief in a secular age uh i've got a lot out of it you should go pick it up out there on the interwebs uh it's available amazon.com and all those kinds of places yeah yeah you can go to amazon.ca chapters.ca you can go to my
2: website joelteason.ca and uh, available through there as well okay all right thanks a lot we good we're good thanks jared thanks a pleasure
0: thanks so much to joel for that great interview for giving us all that time and that great content great two-part interview uh, that we were able to have with him and really happy to have been able to share it with everyone
1: yeah, I'm really excited by um, all the stuff that Joel is doing. This guy uh, is doing all kinds of really important research in the Canadian context, um, and uh, he's one of those rare birds that's just that's doing something that that we need to continue to pay attention to. So, if you'd like to connect with Joel Teeson, you could do so at joelteeson.ca. Curious how to spell Teeson. Uh, it's not that hard. We'll have that link in, uh, in the podcast um, description there on our website. Um, Joel is currently working on a project called Flourishing Congregations, and uh, that's that's just getting rolling uh, uh, this year. And so stay tuned for that because there's going to be panel conversations and things happening in your area. So go to joeltieson.ca and, um, and you'll find uh, links to all that kind of stuff.
0: Thanks so much for tuning in and hanging out with us. We will see you next time here on The New Leaf Project. Thanks for listening to The New Leaf Podcast. You can find us on the web at newleafnetwork.ca or head on over to our Facebook page, New Leaf Network. We have events, workshops, and conversations happening all the time. We would love if you could join us as we share the stories of planters and stars all across Canada.